Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 3, Term 1. This is Lesson 4. We are now in John chapter 3 and verse 22. I'd like to begin with an introductory statement. <clears throat> now, following the Passover week, an almost incomprehensible conversation with Nicodemus, Leon Morris says that the Apostle John, after making it plain, what Jesus stands for, returns to the Baptist to show that he bears witness to Jesus of whom the Apostle John is writing. The readers of the Gospel now know what Jesus wants of people. They know that he demands a radical rebirth. They know that he will die for his people's salvation, for God so loved the world. Okay, John 3.16. They know that those who believe in him have eternal life, while those who do not are condemned already. Now John brings them to see that in the light of all this, the Baptist maintains his unwavering support. He is still a witness to Jesus. And so it goes on to say in John chapter 3 and verse 22, After these things, Jesus and his disciples, now at the moment it's Andrew, John, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel and maybe James. Okay, there's, there's a question mark there. Came into the land, or more accurately, the country district of Judea, indicating that they went out from the urban to the rural areas of Judea. And there he remained with them and baptized. Now, there are two things that this verse brings out. First, because it says that he remained with them, the implication is that Jesus got to spend some time with his disciples, and most probably minister to them. Second, while they were there, it says that they baptized people, even though Jesus himself never personally baptized anyone. Because of what John chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 says, alright, when we see that in the coming weeks, and that is, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is baptized and making more disciples than John. And verse 2 says, Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea to return to Galilee. And we'll look at all of that. It's very interesting when we get to it. Alright, so understand something. Jesus, interestingly, never baptized anyone. I think it's a very curious thing. Alright, that had he done that, I think it would have become a doctrine. Although it already is today. But it would have been something that, you know, well, Jesus did it, so we all have to do it. Now, he himself was baptized. Interesting, right? But he never baptized anyone. Do you hear what I'm saying? Alright? Now, we're going to start seeing something, and we need to recognize this. We need to be careful. Remember, Paul had this situation come up. And he says, you know, some of Cephas, that's Peter, some of Paul, you know, and, they, and you, know, you start making all these little groups. We call them denominations. Okay, <laughs> alright? Um, I'm from this church. What church are you from? Well, we don't recognize your church, you know, you know all of this stuff. It's very interesting. That's the reason why I think Jesus was very careful that he didn't do this. Because, can you imagine the fights? I was baptized by John. Well, I was baptized by Jesus. So, okay. And, and, you know, and there could be 
some sort of substance to that statement, especially when John says, here's the person that I'm not even worthy to tie his shoelaces. You know what I'm trying to say? And now that guy baptized me, so where are you from? And we have that happening even today. A lot of churches think they're superior to other churches because of their heritage and the lineage and all sorts of things. Amen? When the Apostle Paul himself said all of that is garbage, that God looks on the heart. He doesn't care about your lineage. Amen? Alright. So, in fact, in his commentary, Leon Morris says that we do not read of Jesus as baptizing in any other gospel. And from John 4.2, we learn that the actual baptizing was carried out by the disciples, not by Jesus in person. Now, as to the reason why the Apostle John makes mention of the fact that Jesus' disciples are baptizing people, in verse 22, is because of what he brings out in the very next verse, that is John 3.23, where he says, Now, John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, a few miles southwest of Bethany, north of where Jesus was, a place centrally located within easy reach for people of four provinces. All right, all the references from where that came from is down the bottom. Because there was much water there, okay, literally many waters. The result of a group of seven springs located there. And they came and were baptized. In short, we know that both Jesus and John preached and baptized together for a certain period of time. Their ministries actually overlapped. Now, I'd never really seen that. In a lot of the movies that I'd seen, nobody really made that clear. Alright, and so this is being written so that we understand, because a lot of people think when John was arrested, then Jesus started his ministry. I was under that impression for a long time. Alright? But these verses are actually showing us that there was a time, and wouldn't this be an incredible time, when Jesus and John are both full on in ministry? Amen? Can you imagine how empty all the synagogues are at this time? I mean, there are these two giants out there. Are you getting the picture? That are just doing incredible things, and they're not in the city, and they're not in the churches. Amen. You can see why the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes had so much time on their hands. I could imagine them getting up to preach and nobody's there. And he goes, where's all the people? And I can see the usher going, I don't know. Jesus, John, you pick. <laughs> okay? And, you know, and people like this get very upset. They'll be like, who is this Jesus and John? No, no, no. Okay, hello. And that's the reason why you'll see them coming out, not to be baptized, but to criticize. Now, some are going to come and try to get baptized and show their congregation, see, I'm getting baptized, so come to church, you know, because I'm, I'm okay. All right? And John is going to look at them and go, who said that you can escape from all the judgment that's coming on you? Ooh, that didn't work. Now we look even worse. <laughs> No, nobody going to turn up at synagogue on Sunday or Saturday, whatever. Okay? <laughs> See, this goes back to, be careful why you do things. If your heart is wrong, everything will just crash and burn. Amen? So, Leon Morris points out that the tense of the last two verbs is continuous. And we might give the force of this as they kept coming and being baptized. You know when it says, and they came and were baptized? Alright? What it actually says in the Greek is, 
that they kept coming and being baptized. So it was just continually going on. To this, D.A. Carson also adds that despite the onset of Jesus' ministry, people were constantly coming to be baptized by John the Baptist. It is now important we keep this in mind when we get to verse 26, because something is going to happen there. Okay? And all this was possible because, as the Apostle John says in John 3.24, referring to John the Baptist, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. So see, we, we understand and it made very clear that this is before John was put into prison. Okay? Alright. By doing this, the Apostle John lets us know that he is supplementing and adding to the synoptic gospel accounts. Do you understand synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke? So that we have some idea of what actually went on between the time of Jesus' temptation and John's wrongful imprisonment. So this is all happening sandwiched between those two events. Are you all with me? Okay. In his commentary, William Hendrickson writes, Before proceeding with his narrative, the author solves a problem. The readers might raise the objection, How was this possible for John to be engaged in the work of baptizing at this time? Is it not true that immediately after the Lord's temptation, the Baptist had been cast into prison? But the author corrects this possible misunderstanding and shows that between Matthew 4.11 and 4.12, or Mark 1.13 and 1.14, because the Synoptic Gospels tell you the same account, there was a considerable period of time during which Jesus and John were engaged in parallel ministry. All right? And both D.A. Carson and Leon Morris confirmed this as well. All right? So I've looked at some other references and made sure that this was correct. This is the reason why the, the Gospel of John is just so important. Okay, because it really does fill in a lot of gaps and takes a lot of things that we thought happened, all right, and just explains it out and makes sure that we get it. Uh, that, that's also one of the reasons that they believe that the, the Gospel of John was written last, because John looked at what was written and he didn't want to re- rewrite everything that was written. He kind of fixed up a few things as he went along. Okay, some believe that, some don't. It's no big deal. Continuing on to John 3.25, it says that then there arose a dispute <laughs> between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. Okay, this is ceremonial washing and cleansing. Now, to understand how this dispute about ceremonial washing, cleansing and purification leads to the issue of baptism in the next verse, in, that's in John 3.26, D.A. Carson explains, Possibly the clash arose over the relation between John's baptism and the more traditional Jewish practices of ceremonial washing involving water, of other prominent Jewish religious figures. Alright? So, do you understand? The Jews, they were into washing. I've spoken about this before. Okay? So, there was a reason why they used to do that. Alright? And so, they're coming to John and they're saying, well, is this one of those things? So there's a dispute that is arising here, all right, between a religious practice and a godly practice, okay? And so this, in turn, led to genuine concern about, among some of John's disciples over the durability of their master's ministry, especially in light of the rising popularity of Jesus. Do you understand this now? Okay, so they're starting to worry a little bit because the Jews are criticizing what is going on. And they are finding fault with what is going on. And so some of John's disciples are starting to get a little nervous. Okay, so we are getting attacked by the religious you know, hierarchy on this side. And then there's Jesus. And the crowds are kind of going to him. 
So, you know, you can get a little nervous and insecure. Amen? Okay. So, it goes on to say in John 3.26, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, notice that they don't even mention Jesus' name. Okay? <laughs> they just say, He who was with you beyond the Jordan. You know the guy that was over there? Get it? To whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Now, this is an exaggeration. Because they're coming to John as well. But you know, it's very interesting how people that are insecure exaggerate. Can I get an itty bitty amen on that one? Okay? <laughs> Look for that. All right. This was clearly an emotional and, and indignant exaggeration because remember again, it said in John 3.23 in the literal text that the crowds kept coming and being baptized by John. Remember that? I told you to keep, it, keep that in mind when we get to 3.26. Meaning of course that not all were going to Jesus to be baptized. It's obvious then that John's disciples resented the fact that there was someone else involved in an activity that they believed was exclusively theirs. And there's the problem. Oh, let's pause for a minute, shall we? <laughs> we have to be so careful that we don't become possessive of things that we say, well, we're the ones that started that first. You know, they're just copying us. Well, if it works, let them. You can't get to those people anyway. It, what, what is the problem there? We need to be so careful... You know, the Christian life should be, freely it was received, freely give. Okay? All the stuff that we get, all the revelations that we receive, come from God. That's the reason why I don't put copyrights on things. The only reason I put a copyright is if people want to take my stuff and twist it and, and say something I didn't say. Then I have an issue. You want to invoke the copyright, so to speak, and say, excuse me. Alright? Because a lot of times, that's the only thing you can catch them with. Because they just think they can just slander and say whatever they want and get away with it. Alright? So, if ever there's a copyright on things, it's for that one reason. It isn't that you can't minister it word for word to somebody else. It never is that. It's that don't take and twist it. Even the Apostle Paul had problems with that. He'd be writing letters and people would be going and saying, Oh no, the Apostle Paul actually meant this. And preaching some other gospel. Okay? And people have taken that statement and run wild with it. Very sad. It was never meant for the things that people today are using it to criticize other ministries with. It was for people that were taking it and twisting it and saying something totally opposite to what the Apostle Paul was trying to say. And he had an issue with that and said, don't let anybody else come. Even if it's an angel, let them be cursed. Amen? Alright, so, get, getting back to this. So we need to be careful that we don't get a, you know, too, too possessive of things. And despite the fact that John was still attracting crowds, what upset them was the fact that, they, that their crowds were now in comparison to Jesus's much smaller. Okay? So, <laughs> what, they, what they're looking at is, well, you know, I remember when the line used to go around the river, around the trees, around the mountain. Now it just goes just around the river and the trees. <laughs> okay? Where's the rest of the people? Isn't that enough? You know what? We need to understand that we're here to do a job. As soon as the job is done, we're done. 
Amen? You know, if that was the case, we'd employ everybody, teach everybody, get everybody doing the work, because we all just want to go home. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, you know, one more day on this, you know, okay? We just want, can we just go home now? It's enough. A lot of people just want to go home now, you know? I just think, that's enough, thank you, Lord. You know, we're good to go. But isn't it funny that at the same time, people want to have a big church. So how dare somebody come inside a church close to them? Like they have the answer for everybody's question. You know, one of the things that I've noticed, and let me just digress just for one second, is that different ministries have different strengths. That's why don't ever compare ministries. Please don't do that because they have been called to do something. Unless they're doing something wrong, don't criticize them. Okay? If they're doing something different, hallelujah. All the people you can't reach, they'll reach. Amen. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Okay? And, and so we just need to pray for everyone. That's the reason why you pray for everyone. If they start a church right next to you, hallelujah. They'll catch all the ones you missed. And hopefully you catch all the ones that they missed. Between the two of you, you'll clean up. <laughs> Amen? That's how you look at this thing. Not bliss. God, how many do we have enough? Oh, we got 50. They got 51. Oh, let's go get another one. <laughs> Yo, come on, man. And how many is in your town? 6,000? And you're worried about 51? You know, hello, okay? I mean, those are kind of the, 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 the ratios, so to speak. A lot of people going to hell still, okay? Let's move on. Let's move on. Accordingly, William Hendrickson writes, As John's disciples see it, Jesus and John are rivals, even competitors. All right? Notice, as John's disciples see it. All right? They seem not to have been very pleased with the fact that John had borne testimony to Jesus. In other words, they're going, why do I have to say anything about him? Can I just keep quiet about it? You know, just whisper, you know. No. <laughs> right? See, their words probably constitute a veiled rebuke. They make full use of the figure of speech called hyperbole. All are going to him. And soon you'll be without any followers. Is what's coming out. Okay. This, of course, was the wrong spirit and the wrong attitude and is somewhat reminiscent of something that took place in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 11. So let's have a look at this in verses 26 through 29. However, two men whose names are Elad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but unlike the 70 elders that were called to stand around the tent, they did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. Okay, as, to, as opposed to 70 who prophesied around the tent a single time, all right? A young man ran and told Moses, Elad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Sounding familiar? But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit on them all. Can I add? Amen. Both John the Baptist and Moses were true men of God. They were generous of heart and spirit. I'm over the page. And were constantly looking out for God's interests, not theirs. It is no different to what the Apostle Paul did in Philippians chapter 1. Verses 15 through 18, where he said, Some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know the Lord has brought me here to defend the good news. 
Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. But whether or not their motives are pure, the fact remains that the message about Christ is being preached. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. What a generous heart. Amen? Amen? Paraphrasing what one commentator said, no matter who we are, no matter how much success we are having, sooner or later, our lives or our ministries will be eclipsed. The most successful, competent or famous will one day be asked to take a lesser role. And we all need to know how to react at such a time especially since we live in a competitive society that is specifically structured to compel us to continually measure our achievements against those of others. That's the world we live in. Amen? That's the society that we live in. And as to the way we are to react to situations like this is brought out in John chapter 3 as John the Baptist answers this angry and excited disciples and their resentfulness or resentful assertions in an incredibly surprising and noble manner, with verse 27 saying, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Let's just stop there for a minute. That is a phenomenal statement, and it is a statement that if we take to heart, we will never, ever be insecure. Listen to me. If you are doing well, it's because God has blessed you. God has anointed you to do that. If somebody else is doing well, it's because God has anointed them. Now, if God has anointed you and God has anointed them, it is not for you to judge them. And it is not for you to look at yourself and compare yourself to them. Just understand that you're anointed. And that if God put anointing on your life, then you're going to do something. But while you're looking at somebody else and comparing yourself, and getting mad, God can't use you because your eyes are on the wrong thing. Your heart is no longer towards God, and He can't increase His anointing on your life. He can't increase the wisdom in your life, because your eye is wrong. Do you get this? So we need to be very careful and understand, you know, as you might from the corner of your eye, so to speak, you know, be seeing somebody doing really well, praise God. If anything, learn how to be better. Allow that to challenge you to be better, not just to beat them, but to understand what is possible. That maybe you haven't, you haven't been working at your full potential. Maybe there is more. Amen? See, <clears throat> it always comes down to what lesson are you learning? If you look at people as competition, if you look at people as threats, you'll never grow. Hear me? But if you look at people with a good eye, then it will encourage you to grow. And you'll say, wow, if God can anoint them, He can anoint me. If He can do so much with them, hallelujah, He can do that with me. Again, not because you're in co competition with them, because we are raiding hell. We are taking down everything that the enemy has done. And we're, we are seeing our uh, brothers in arms, so to speak, fighting and winning. And we're going, yeah, man, we can do that too. 
Amen? And we're going, all right, God, let's just lock this together and take them all out. Instead of taking each other out. Why? Even in the natural army, they don't do that. They cheer when one of, their, one of theirs do well. They don't look and say, oh, that guy shot 17 people, I only shot 12. So I'm going to turn around and shoot him. Because he's he making me look bad. Are you kidding? There's less coming at you. This is a good thing. Are you all here? Amen. All right. <laughs> Can we move on? Okay, praise God. <clears throat> Alright, so, once again, we go back to John 3.27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. This is not an earthly thing. In other words, John the Baptist says that to everyone God has assigned a place in his eternal plan. And that he, the Baptist, has no right to lay claim to an honor which had not been given to him in heaven. The tense in the original implies that once given, it remains given, and once withheld, it remains withheld. Amen? To this D.A. Carson adds, For John the Baptist to have wished he were someone else, called to serve in a way many would judge more prominent, would simply be covetous by another name. Even worse, if the person he envied were the Messiah himself. That's, that's, you don't want to go there. Amen? John the Baptist sees the hand of the Father in everything. And therefore, if people were flocking to Jesus, that was because the Father willed it so. We need to see things in that light. Amen? Alright. Now, you might be thinking, well, brother, you've just told us in the past that there are some churches that are just growing and, you know, what's going on there? Alright. Here comes a place where you rightly divide the word. Okay? You need to understand what is going on. If people are going because God is leading them to something, that's different to people going where they're comfortable. Do you get the difference? Alright? We are to go where God leads us. Not where, where, not where we are comfortable. I know you guys come to church because God's leading here. Not necessarily because it's comfortable. <laughs> okay? There could be a lot of places that could be tickling your ears. But you want to know the truth and you want to grow. Absolutely. You know, we want our lives to mean something at the end. Don't we? Amen? And we want to make sure that we say, we want God to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? And we're all looking for that. I'm looking for that. Hallelujah. And I want you to be in that same category. Alright. In his commentary, R. Kent Hughes writes, we might finish with this. R. Kent Hughes writes, There is an unhappy human tendency to play down the success of others and uplift our own. Can I say that again? There is an unhappy human tendency to play down the success of others. Brother, that was a great meeting. Oh, yeah, 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 you know, it wasn't that great. And to uplift our... You should have been at our meeting. Oh, it was bigger. We had much more people. <laughs> Hello, okay. You hear what I'm saying? All right. If someone is doing well, we attribute it to the golden spoon or being at the right place at the right time. That was just lucky. 
You know, they just uh, they just happen to have it when when you know school just got out or or what this happened or that happened and the time was exactly right. So that's why they got that crowd. Are you all with me? Okay. All right. But if we happen to be particularly successful, it's because of our prowess, intelligence, and hard work. It wasn't because it was like, oh no no no, we planned it that way. Oh yeah, we are that good. Hello. Okay. <laughs> but. The proper philosophy by which to evaluate our own success is to remember that a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. All right, let's stop there. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.